I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, January the 20th, 2023. We are wrapping up week two at the Colorado Legislative Session. It was a week of new ideas, the desire to work together, and there were a lot of pop culture shout-outs this week. And it was also another week of snow, as we all know. And so our lawmakers, like all the front-range school kids, had a snow day. No matter what the conditions, our panel was working hard for you this week. We have tonight Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward. Krista Kafer, columnist with the Denver Post. Also Eric Sonderman, columnist with Colorado Politics and the Denver and Colorado Springs Gazettes. And also Marianne Goodlin, chief legislative reporter for Colorado Politics and the Colorado Springs Gazette, who's been very busy the last couple of weeks. At the start of Governor Polis's State of the State on Tuesday, he talked about working together, listening to all ideas, but he also kind of made a jab at the top of his remarks when talking about the shape of our state being square and then the color of our state saying, well, it's not so much red lately. Patty, will we see the harmonious rainbow that he talked about in his address as Colorado approaches its 147th year as a state? Well, and he hooked a lot of this speech to the 150th anniversary coming up in 2026, when we will be Colorado for all. And if you looked early on in that speech, he talked about wanting to be sure it was incredibly inclusive, that we give women choice, that you deal with GBL, um, the GBLDQ group. Sorry, I got that all backwards. And that um, also the migrants. He had everything in that speech, including the kitchen sink. But what was, of course, the crowd pleaser were his pop culture references at the start so amazing. He managed to get the Nuggets, the Joker in, Lord of the Rings, South Park, and Casa Bonita. But the clincher was Yoda. And I think if he wanted to bring, and it wasn't just Yoda, it was an imitation of oh, Yoda yeah. that I only wish I could come, I could execute <laughs> here. So if he wants to bring all of Colorado together, I think it's in appreciation of the fact that we have a very square governor. For our square state. Exactly. <laughs> yes. The uh, impression was quite impressive. My daughter, who's in the know with Star Wars, was impressed. Um, affordable housing, Krista, took up a lot of what the governor had to say. Or he might have gone to other topics, but he also brought it back to the conversation of affordability. Well, it's a big issue. I mean, you think about, I, I bought my house like 15 years ago. It's worth considerably more today. I imagine me trying to buy a house now would have been very, very difficult. So it's a big issue. And I think, you know, he's right that, that zoning issues and regulations can prevent affordable housing from being created. And we definitely need more stock. The problem is, though, is that zoning uh, policies and a lot of regulatory policies are local level decisions. And so I would hate for the state to come in and usurp that. Um, that said, I do think he can use the bully public to say, hey, we need to have a zoning that allows for more housing. We need to make sure that we don't have all of these regulations uh, that will make housing more expensive. Um, I would like to see him really denounce rent control because rent control in the end can actually make things worse. And the other question we have to ask ourselves is at what price? If the taxpayers or other homeowners or other renters are picking up the tab, are those policies truly fair? Mm -hmm. Eric, when it comes to housing, he wants a solution yesterday. And he's really supporting the idea of modular homes. Can we have more of these to make them more affordable so more people have a place to live? And I think it should be part of the solution. He didn't want a solution yesterday, because if it was yesterday, he wouldn't have taken 70 or 75 minutes for the entire speech. Uh, brevity was, was not his thing. But as I, uh, as I watched him uh, on that day, as I, uh, I was impressed with 
just how strong Governor Jared Polis has become and how much in command of that building he is now. now you know, compare that to where he stood there as a brand new governor four years ago. Obviously, COVID did a lot to, to sort of boost his presence, boost his command, boost his strength. But this is certainly a guy um, that there's no doubt who is in charge. As to housing, uh, there ought to be multiple solutions here. Modular can certainly be one part of that solution. Ultimately, it needs to be about supply, as Krista mentioned. It needs to be about increasing the stock. You can't repeal the law of supply and demand. Given that demand is high, you need to meet it with um, adequate supply. And I'm curious, these new programs he's announcing with fairly substantial budgets, are they coming out of the $300 million that the voters just passed in Proposition 123 last year? Or is this new money that is also being added to the equation? Let's hope it works, but there's not going to be a single magic fix. No, and I'm curious, Marianne, you're at the State House every day. Is this part of the plan, all that money? Because, he, and he's also asking for the state to give up land, too. There, there was a lot kind of thrown out about the different ways we should be tackling it. Can we do it all? I don't know if we can do it all, but I know that there are all, there is already movement on some of this. And, and he was actually talking about this last year in his budget proposal. The uh, CDOT has this piece of property in an area known as Dowd Junction, which is in between Vale and Minturn and uh, Eagle Vale area. And um, it's, it, they can put housing on that property with just a little bit of work on CDOT's part to move things that are already there, but it's not very much. So state lands, yes, that, that's absolutely doable. Um, I think the, the big question is going to be how he gets the, and, and to go to Chris's point about local control, how you get the local governments to, to buy in on this. I've heard some really good ideas about regional cooperation, uh, but to get the local governments to give up their uh, rights about zoning, about building codes, um, all the different things that go into their authority. Right now, the uh, trade associations for the local governments, the, the Colorado Municipal League and Colorado Counties, Inc., are, are trying to talk peace with the governor and say, we're, you know, we're willing to work with him and talk to him about this. But in the end, I'm also hearing from county commissioners that they're really not crazy about this idea uh, of giving up their authority on, on these, these uh, areas. Okay. Uh, last Saturday was the 30th anniversary of the signing of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights in Colorado, or TABOR, as it's referred to. It limits the amount the state government can spend and requires that we all get refunds when there's a surplus in the budget. Krista, Coloradans are well aware that we need big improvements in education. But there's this bill floating around that proposes asking all of us to vote on getting rid of our TABOR refunds so that the state can spend more, more money on teachers and for salaries and to make it attractive to work here and to make education better. You know, it's funny, a couple months ago, all these same politicians were saying, look, you're getting money back from Tabor, and, and it's, you know, we're, we're doing you a favor. Of course, they weren't doing us a favor. It's the law. We get back that money. Uh, when I first saw this proposal, I thought to myself, is this Groundhog Day? Um, I've, I've seen this before, and yes, Prop CC, just a couple of years ago, uh, advocates of high taxes and politicians put that forward and said, hey, let's put these refunds, your refunds, to these purposes, including education, and it flopped. Now they're doing it again and saying, look, we're going to spend this money on education, but here's the deal. 
already the general budget goes a lot, quite a bit of that goes to education. Local governments spend a lot of money on education. Federal government chips in a bunch. And, and um, Amendment 23 already requires that we spend a certain amount of money on education. So to come back to the taxpayers and say, but we want more, my question is, you already have a lot. What are you doing with it? Especially given the fact that we have declining enrollment. Use that money, use it well, but give me back my Tabor refund. Mm -hmm. Eric, I haven't heard that the governor is for this. He has been not so vocal about it, saying, no, oh, well, it'll be up to the voters, because this idea would essentially go to the voters. It absolutely, it, would go, it absolutely would go to the voters. And quite frankly, good luck to the people who are pushing this, and I say that facetiously, in the way of taking the entire refund. If they wanted to chip off a little piece of the refund, fine, let's have that discussion, let's have that dialogue. But to take the entire refund, at some point, they're almost victims of their own rhetoric a year ago, but even more than that, they're victims of the size of the refund a year ago. If we were used to getting 20 or $30 refunds, well, maybe you can say, okay, that's a few cups of coffee. Let's forego that 20 or $30. But no, we all got $750 refunds, $1,500 for a couple. For most Coloradans, the overwhelming share of Coloradans, that is real money. And now you're going to propose taking that away lock, stock, and barrel. And the further problem is, no one argues, no serious person argues that teachers as a whole in our society are underpaid and deserve significantly better compensation, particularly those who are at the top of their game. There ought to be some variated compensation and not just across the board. Be that as it may, you have to make the case that if you're going to put this much money into education, you're going to do it for an improved product, not the same old product. Mm. Uh, as I started, good luck to them in trying to get this past the voters. Hmm. Marianne, when, what, you're, what are you hearing at the Capitol? Because it appears that here are some Democrat, Democratic leaders proposing this. The governor is like being quiet. Is this already setting up some struggles between the two, the governor and some of the leaders in the, in the state house? At the moment, it's a fissure. I can see it growing to a chasm. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, and it isn't just about this one particular bill. We're hearing a, a number of bills that the governor is... Uh, allegedly not in favor of. There's a second Tabor refund bill that uh, Speaker Pro Tem Chris Kennedy is working on. We don't know the details of that one yet, but we're also hearing that the, the governor ha is not crazy about it. Then we have a third bill uh, called the Fair Work Week bill that has to do with how uh, primarily people in the food and beverage industry are scheduled. And we're also told the governor doesn't like this one either. Uh, this bill would allow uh, employers or require employers to pay their workers when they show up to work and they don't have any work for them and they send them home. This is a very, this is unfortunately common in uh, the food and beverage industry and some others as well. But this bill would say if you're scheduled for eight hours, you get paid for eight hours whether you work them or not. So, and we're hearing the governor doesn't like that one either. That was like maybe like a day like yesterday. The restaurant might not have opened, but the people who are scheduled would just be would, paid. Would have still gotten paid, that's correct. Okay, not yesterday, Wednesday. It's been a week, right? Uh, Patty, um, Governor Polis has recognized in his speech um, that there are fewer people looking for post-secondary education. There have been reports out this week that enrollment, as Krista was mentioning, is down in Colorado schools, except I think in El Paso and Teller counties. Our education system needs something. Well, it definitely needs emphasis on more training, and we have had some proposals on that before earlier. Uh, but the whole Tabor issue is fascinating because it was 30 years ago when that passed, Colorado's voters passed it, people thought the sky was falling, that Colorado would never survive. What's been interesting is 
how well Colorado has survived. But I think if you take away the right of voters to pass tax increases, which um, it has come up as a proposal again, you know, ta under Tabor, we have to vote for tax increases. It used to be something legislative bodies could do. If you take away all refunds to send them to education without explaining where it's going, without explaining maybe it's helping kids who shouldn't go to college but need training, if you can't come up with a good argument for it, you're going to find people very upset at the polls, and it's not going to help two years from now when the election rolls around. Okay. Um, what was missing in the state of the state this week? What did we not hear from Governor Polis when it comes to his plans for our state? Did anything jump out at you, Eric? Yeah, we didn't hear anything specific about the fishing industry <laughs> that would maybe be relevant to, let's say, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, or <laughs> a deep harbor in Charleston, South Carolina, or ethanol in Des Moines, Iowa. So it was not a formal announcement of a presidential candidacy. We'll mm -hmm. see if that is in the future uh, or not. Uh, more germane to Colorado. I know there were critics, uh, particularly on the Democratic side, on the progressive side, who wanted Polis to be further out there in favor of an assault weapons ban. And that was conspicuously absent from the speech. And then when asked about it after the fact by reporters, he put all his chips on, on strengthening the red flag law. I personally don't look at those as mutually exclusive options. You could strengthen the red flag law, but in a in a very blue state these days and a very, very blue legislature, yes, Jared Polis is going to have to ride the brake pedal, as Marianne has well said, on some of these issues. But I think he has clean sailing, at least within Colorado, on the assault weapons ban. Mm -hmm. The fact that he is not embracing that tells me he's looking more toward a national audience than a Colorado mm -hmm. audience. He's talking a lot about the ghost guns and cracking down on those instead. Yeah. Marianne, what did you, were you surprised that he didn't talk about? I heard a lot of fussing, particularly from Republicans, that he didn't mention ag. The only time that he did was in the context of talking about Colorado's uh, water crisis. But th the one thing that, I, that I've noticed is that he has left ag out of his last four speeches. The only time he spoke about it in any kind of substantial way was back in his very first uh, State of the State address in 2019. The other thing that was raised by a couple of different organizations is that there was nothing about small business. Small business is still struggling to recover from the pandemic. You still have workforce shortages in small business. You have all, you have supply chain issues. You have all these different problems. Small business got left out of the speech. And we used to be a, a hub nationwide. They say the great place to go to start business. And isn't ag our number one industry? Number, number two, two. Number one. Number two. two. And and I and I talked to the governor about this later in the day. I I asked him what role agriculture would play in the 150th. Uh, celebration and and he was perfectly fine with saying you know it's our number two industry and yes it's very very important and that was kind of the end of it okay patty well on that 150 commission for the birthday there are people from all regions there are people from rural so we will hear more about ag i like marianne went back and looked and there was one reference to colorado agriculture I was a little surprised that there wasn't more about what we have come through. When you think about, he's looking forward to the three years from now with the anniversary, the 150th anniversary. When you look back three years ago, we didn't have our first case of COVID. 
you know, you're looking at Washington and you didn't have the insurrection yet. You didn't have the shootings in Boulder. You didn't have the shootings at the Club Q. So he was really trying to put a positive spin and push it forward. And maybe Eric's right. Maybe it was to look nationally and look to the future down the line there. But he didn't really do much retrospective of the last three years and what we've weathered. And small business is definitely a factor of that. People are especially small businesses, they are hurting. They are. Krista. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm glad that he is open to uh, both income tax and property tax reform and bringing those rates down. What I would have liked to have heard is more on that, especially given the fact that the legislature is so far to the left, I think they're going to need a significant nudge in that direction, especially given that some of them are you know, thinking about repealing uh, Tabor refunds. Um, they want to go in a different direction. They seem to have forgotten that the Colorado electorate voted for income tax uh, uh, relief in this last election. So he, I think he's got his, uh, he's got a better sense of what the electorate wants and what the electorate needs as far as income tax and property tax uh, work there. But I think he needs to push that a little bit more with the legislature. I would have also liked to have known a little bit more about how he's going to boost support for law enforcement. Law enforcement is depleted right now. Uh, I think part of that is the, the constant uh, denunciations by the far left, the fact that uh, the, these same politicians did not have the backs of our law enforcement during the 2020 riots. Um, it takes a lot more than lip service to say we support our local officers. Not only do we need to see fundings, but we, funding, but we also need to see uh, just uh, moral support to say, hey, we support you. We support you as you would try to tackle our, our high level of auto crime, our high level of, of property crime, and the other things that are going on. Mm -hmm. You're right. We support you. Uh, before the start of the session, it was looking like women would have the majority when it comes to the legislature with 54, 51 women to 49 men. But then Representative Tracy Burnett from House District 12 resigned on the first day of the session because of criminal charges she is facing. Marianne, now we're at 50-49. When will we know who takes your spot, who's in the running, and will women hang in that majority? It's possible. It's possible. Um, January 28th, uh, Saturday, the House District 12 Democratic Vacancy Committee will hold a virtual uh, meeting to pick her successor, and it will be live-streamed on the Boulder County, Boulder County Democrats' uh, YouTube channel. And they're also going to hold a forum, uh, I believe, Wednesday of next week for the candidates. So far, we have seven declared candidates, and I'm told that there could be more coming. Uh, David Skaggs is probably the most prominently... Uh, featured person in that in that group, but we also have three other people who also hold elected office. We have a a woman who sits on the Boulder Valley School District. We have a member of the Town of Superior uh, Town Council, and then we've got someone on the Louisville uh, Town Council who is also running. It, and four of those seven are women. So it's entirely possible that a woman majority legislature could be maintained. But if one of the guys gets it, we're back to 50-50. Mm, okay. All right. Um, let me ask also, um, Patty, the deadline has passed now for the people who want to run for Denver mayor. One of the state lawmakers who was in the running decided to bow out. Um, so what, where do we stand now? How many are we at? 26, 27? Well, we won't really know because we just had the ballots turned in Thursday, the end okay. of the day. 
but they still have to make sure there's their signatures. Oh. They have to get 300 signatures, so they'll have to be verified. 300 signatures are not that hard to get, but you can still screw up along the way. So we've had a couple dropouts, Alec Valdez being the most, uh, the most noteworthy so far, but we will have more people who don't make the final ballot. And then we'll also have some people who make the ballot but maybe decide they don't want to push it because it's a much more crowded field even then up in Boulder yeah. to replace um, to replace the disgraced representative who got booted, who decided to go wet at the last 11th hour. So it's going to be a fascinating race. What will we see? We will probably have at least 20 people who go into March mm -hmm. and maybe over a dozen will certainly be final, final serious candidates April 4th. And then ballots go out March 13th? Something around that mid-March. About the yeah. middle of the month. Okay, and then April 4th. Krista, the race continues as well as to who will be the next head of the Colorado GOP because current party chair Christy Burton-Brown is not running for re-election in March. Um, how is that going to shake out? I've seen some of the names that are in the running. And when do we know? So it'll be in, um, let's see, I think it is April. Okay. I should have written that down. But okay. um, I, the, the fact is we got a, a number of people uh, running. And, and how do you recruit for a job nobody wants? It's an awful <laughs> job. It's a thankful, jo a thankless job. And so far, the you know, we've gotten fringy and fringier putting their hat in the ring. So whether it's Eric Audland, who is into conspiracy theories, we've got Casper Stockholm, sorry, St Stockham, who uh, I think is lost in three congressional districts. I mean, that's experience. It's just not the experience that we really need. And uh, Tina Peters of the Boot Barn Gang and I can see Greg Lopez, Dave Williams, very fringy. Um, so it's unfortunate because what we need is somebody who is smart, who's a uniter, who can put the, the Trump past and the Trumpiness behind us. And I'm thinking maybe Lang Sias, George Brockler, I'm talking to you. You better put your hat in the ring. Okay, you're calling them out. <laughs> All right. Um, Eric... Which of these races interests you the most? Well, I think I want to talk about the Denver mayoral race. But before I do that, speaking of the situation in Boulder and the balance between men and women, the math is that if three of you would resign from this table right now, then we would be back to a 50-50 balance of men and women uh, on this panel. We're not but, moving. <laughs> uh, in terms of Denver mayor's race and staying with math here, I just want to do some math relative to that race. This race is going to pick up intensity quickly. The math is as follows. Ballots go out in less than eight weeks. The election is about 11 weeks away in terms of when they are counted. As Patty indicated, we won't know exactly how many candidates qualify for the ballot with their petitions, but let's call it around two dozen, maybe as many as 27, but somewhere in the two dozen range. I count maybe nine or 10 of those candidates as people I regard as serious who can at least look in the mirror and see some plausible path from here to the prize. That is a huge number of candidates. And mainly, let's say all those sort of fringy, no hope candidates, between them are worth 5% of the vote. Then you have nine or 10 candidates looking to split up 95% of the vote, mm -hmm. looking for two spots in that runoff. Anyone who gets to 20, in my mind, is probably guaranteed a spot in the runoff. Somebody who gets into the high teens is likely to be in the runoff. You're just looking for these rather small slices of the electorate, given the overall size of the field, and then all of a sudden you're a contestant in the runoff, you have two months, and anything can happen. 
anything. It'll be a wild couple of weeks, a couple of months. Now let's have our lightning round with our panelists talking about the good and the bad that transpired this week. Patty, let's start with you. Okay, well, bad. My apologies for mixing up the alphabet with our gay, lesbian, bi, queer, transgender, plus group. But I will make it up to them with the PLU, which is people like us. It's another term. And Colorado Christian University, which just branded Pro-Life University as its new trademark, obviously doesn't realize what PLU also stands for. Thank you. I'm going to give it to uh, the, the, the disgrace of the week to the guys that stole the, the truck with yes. the pigs. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, these folks come in from, uh, from, came down from Washington. They've got the pigs to bring it to the stock show. Uh, fortunately, the pigs were recovered, and they're doing okay. But, man, who steals, who steals pigs? No one found those guys, right? Uh, they need to be. Uh, yeah. They need. To, they need to be made into bacon. They need to go and sit in one of those um, bucking broncos at the rodeo. <laughs> They'll learn their lesson that way. Exactly, <laughs> Eric. I like Krista's. That's good. Uh, let's look at what's gone on in Brazil this week, and much closer to home in New Mexico, in the Albuquerque area, where you have somebody arrested who was a candidate who lost by over 50 points. I mean, this was not a cliffhanger race, mm -hmm. but was convinced that, no, he had really won and apparently hired people to go shoot up houses of prominent Democrats across the Albuquerque region. Folks, this is what election denial brings you. We are living in a country, and I don't know if it's because of all the participation trophies or what, where somehow no one can accept that maybe they come out on the, came out on the short end of the stick. This is what election denial mm -hmm. gives you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit and go to Washington and some of the choices that have been made by Kevin McCarthy on who he puts on committees. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene on Homeland Security. And that, you know, she's an election denier of the first order and gets to be in that, that kind of group, which is frankly a little frightening. And also for uh, what he's just deciding to do or not with Representative George Santos, who every day brings another new story about something else that he has lied about. Just resign already and get it over with, please. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about the good. Let's end with the good. Patty. Well, I'll return to the home of the pigs, where they are safely now, National Western Stock Show. If you haven't been there yet, go yeah. see CSU Spur, what they built, those yeah. three buildings. Incredible. And kudos to Pete Kors, who's led the campaign to raise money for other buildings. They've raised $100 million. That's money that's not coming from taxpayers, but from donors. Mm-hmm. The Spur campus is fantastic, and my shout-out for the day is the Dumb Friends League. They're on the on the Spur campus. Does affordable spay and neuter for uh, Denverites who want to bring their pets uh, pets there. And I adopted a stray kitten over Christmas, and I, I took it there to get her operation. And it was great. It was affordable, and they did great. They just they took care of my little my little girl. I didn't know they had that out there. Yeah, All right. Denver lost a giant this week, uh, and I mean that he was a very all human being. Dr. Steve Berman uh, passed away after a brief battle with cancer. He was a prominent, nationally prominent pediatrician out at uh, Children's Hospital. Uh, he was involved in public health both locally and nationally. He and his wife Elaine were civic and philanthropic leaders across the area. Uh, a good mm -hmm. person uh, gone, gone too young. And I'm going to go to the stock show, too, but this is for the Junior Livestock Auction. Good luck to all the exhibitors, especially to the Colorado kids who have worked so hard to bring their animals up for auction. And keep in mind, your lawmakers are, have 
uh, collected donations, and they will be bidding on a Colorado Kids uh, livestock during the during the auction on Friday. Isn't the auction is such a great thing to witness and to see those kids just really be taken aback about all their hard work paying off, and then they see their future, right? It's yep. so great. Yeah, the stock show is fantastic. Thank you, everybody, for coming on the show this week. We appreciate it. And for all of your insight going forward, uh, we will sort through what's happening throughout the legislative session with you guys, with your help. So thanks so much. Also, uh, for those of you who are at home, we appreciate your feedback on our social media pages and at CIO at PBS12.org. As Governor Polis called for us to listen to one another, we are listening to you. And one more reminder, you can always catch Colorado Inside Out on PBS12.org, or you can go to our YouTube page, Thank you for spending time with us this week. I'm Kyle Dyer, and I look forward to seeing you next week here on PBS 12.